This is episode 72 of Beyond the Bulletin. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of Beyond the Bulletin. It's our first episode of 2021. From the University of Waterloo, I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of the Daily Bulletin. And for Media Relations, I'm Pamela Smythe. On this podcast, we go beyond the pages and pixels of the Daily Bulletin to inform you about important news and views from our community. This week, our guest is Lily Liu, Dean of the newly renamed Faculty of Health. These are exciting times to be in health research and education, and among other things, we'll talk about the effect a global pandemic is having on the faculty and the other way around. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. Happy New Year, Brandon. And a Happy New Year to you, Pamela. Thank you. Did you have a good holiday? You know I did. And Christmas was good? Yeah, it was a, it was a great time. Had a good... Uh... Had a good Christmas morning. It was fun, you know. Had both both girls home, so it was uh, it was just a real treat. Good. Well, you know, speaking of Christmas, when I worked at the National on CBC Television, I looked forward to the Christmas Eve show because that was the one time in the whole year that there were credits in the newscast. Oh, you mean like they they scrolled the credits at the end of the show, or? Yeah, yeah, and that was the only time, and it was our Christmas bonus, so to speak, working for the public broadcaster. Ah, uh, so once a year you could see your name in lights. Is that what you're saying? Well, it was more like a blur whizzing past, but still, it, it felt good to be recognized for my for my work. So let's start the new year off right by acknowledging the colleagues who are behind the scenes of Beyond the Bulletin, who supported us on a regular basis over the past year. Yes, indeed. So uh, thanks to Melanie Scott and Anne Galang for their research and writing. To Patrick Brunet, Robert Lauren, and Diane Naughton from Media Production Services, a division of IST, for their technical help and wizardry. To Sarah LeBlanc for her graphic artistry. She created our logo in its various iterations. To Georgia Mulholland, Jeannie Watt for all things procurement and finance. To Ryan Antua, Eva Bajari, and Stephanie Longeway for helping with promoting our episodes on social media. And Chris Wilson-Smith, my supervisor, Nick Manning, and Sandra Banks, who are our AVP and VP, respectively, for their leadership and guidance. We should also give a high five to the many campus communicators who support the Daily Bulletin and therefore beyond the Bulletin with content and promotion. And I will say that in the final Daily Bulletin of every year, I do my best to provide the credits, just like you mentioned in the CBC, for those who've contributed content um, individually and corporately. Well done. Well, it takes a village. It certainly does. So in that grateful spirit, let's check out what's been happening so far this new year. This week, campus awoke from its long winter's nap. Well, not quite. There's lots of winter left. But it reopened after the holiday closure. With lectures not starting until next week and Ontario under a province-wide shutdown, the awakening has been slow going. But after the year we've had, perhaps easing into January is just what we need. Campus activities and services are modified under the new rules. General office activity is limited to work that must occur on campus. Unless you must be on campus, you likely should be working remotely. All food services operations are currently takeout or delivery only with no dine-in seating. The full listing, including hours of operation, are on the food services website. All athletic facilities are closed. Athletics will continue to offer online programming as well as a new Warrior Reset program. Continuing, libraries may be open for curbside delivery and pickup. Most research-related services may continue. The center in Needles Hall is currently closed to in-person visits, but is available via email, live chat, or phone. Print and retail solutions will continue to facilitate textbook and course material ordering and offer shipping or curbside pickup options. 
W Store and W Print will be operating online only until further notice. And W Store's contactless curbside pickup service is back. Some essential services in buildings remain open for in-person service, such as student residences remain open as normal. Resident move-in will take place until January 11th. Campus wellness services are open, including the COVID testing assessment center, health services, and counseling services. And the Student Life Center is open from 7.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. on weekdays all month. The turnkey desk is also open during these hours. The building will be open to access the services and businesses only. There is no seating for dining and studying. You can find more details about modified campus services in the Daily Bulletin from Monday, January 4th. Now, if you're also still easing into 2021, might we suggest perusing some of the top stories from just before the holidays? We might! In case you missed it, the Daily Bulletin published a two-part 2020 year in review. The first installment, called Waterloo in the Time of COVID-19, was published on December 21st and recounted how the university adapted to the unusual circumstances of the year, from Waterloo's initial response and community support efforts to reopening campus operations and contributing to global efforts to fight the virus. While the pandemic loomed large throughout 2020, there were also many highlights to the year not directly related to COVID-19. Part two of the year in review focused on some of these bright spots in an otherwise challenging year and can be found in December 22nd's Daily Bulletin. And as we begin 2021, we have some exciting news to celebrate. Two alumni, a professor emeritus, and Waterloo's next president are among the people recently named the Order of Canada, one of the country's highest civilian honours. In an unusual move, there were two announcements made close together, one in November and one in December, so we'll tell you about both. Vivek Goel, who becomes Waterloo's seventh president and vice-chancellor in July, was named a member of the Order of Canada in the honours list announced on December 30th. Her Excellency, the Right Honourable Julie Payette, Governor-General of Canada, recognized Goel for his contributions as an academic and administrator who is committed to the advancement of public health services, evidence-based healthcare, and research innovation. Francis Wesley, Professor Emeritus and formerly the J.W. McConnell Chair in Social Innovation at Waterloo, was also named a member of the Order of Canada in the same announcement. Wesley's honour is the result of her global contributions to the study and implementation of social innovation. The Honourable Monique Begin, who has an honorary Doctor of Laws degree from Waterloo, and Peter Warian, an alumnus of St. Jerome's University, who earned his BA, MA, and PhD from Waterloo, appear in the announcement made on November 27th. Began's award is a promotion within the Order to Companion and is the result of her work to support public health, education, and human rights around the world. Warian, co-founder and managing director of the Lupina Foundation, was recognized for his expertise as, and leadership as a researcher in Canada's steel industry and for his philanthropy in the area of health. Nine University of Waterloo researchers have been named New or Renewing Canada Research Chairs, or CRCs. The Honourable Navdeep Baines, Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry, announced 259 New or Renewed Chairs in December and as part of a Government of Canada investment of approximately $195 million. Congratulations in alphabetical order to Sarah Birch, renewed as a Shirk Tier 2 CRC in Sustainability Governance and Innovation, Catherine Burns, who is the new CIHR Tier 1 CRC in Systems Design Engineering. Alana Katapan, who is the new SHRC Tier 2 CRC in the Politics of Reproduction. Monica Emelko is the new NSERC Tier 1 CRC in Water Science, Technology, and Policy. Logan McDonald, who is the new SHRC Tier 2 CRC in Indigenous Art. Hannah Neufeld is the new CIHR Tier 2 CRC 
in Indigenous health, well-being, and food environments. Luke Possel is renewed as NSERC Tier 2 CRC and Graph Theory. Michelle Ruddy is the new SHRC Tier 2 CRC in Tourism, Environment, and Sustainability. And Crystal Senko is the new NSERC Tier 2 CRC in Trapped Ion Quantum Computing. And the announcements just keep on coming. Two groups on campus have recently announced new leaders. Plant Operations welcomed Stephen Briggs officially to the role of Associate Director of Utilities. Over the past few years, he filled the role of Interim Associate Director Maintenance, providing guidance to the trade shops and the central plant. And Andrea Edgington begins her term as Hallman Director of the School of Pharmacy. Professor Edgington is Waterloo Pharmacy's third Hallman Director. She succeeds David Edwards, who held the position from 2011. Thanks, Dave. Now, here's what's coming up. To remember and celebrate the incredible contributions that Pearl Sullivan made to the University of Waterloo, we will be holding a virtual celebration of life for our internal university community. Professor Sullivan, Dean Emeritus of the Faculty of Engineering, died in November. The event will take place live on YouTube on Tuesday, January 26th from 11.30 a.m. to noon. You will need to register to attend and you can find the link to the Ticketify page in our show notes on SoundCloud. The Pension and Benefits Committee will host public information sessions for members of the University of Waterloo Benefits Plan on January 19th and January 20th. They'll provide an update on the work the Holistic Benefits Review Working Group has done and will include details and background on potential changes to the plan. The meetings will each be one hour long and will take place on Microsoft Teams. We'll put a link to the registration page in our show notes. Now the interview. When news of the global pandemic emerged, many researchers and experts sprang into action to help Canadians understand what was happening and how COVID-19 could and would affect their lives. Many of them are professors in the Faculty of Health, and they educated us on the effect physical distancing has on virus transmission and even what kind of masks to wear. Lily Liu is the Dean of the Faculty of Health. In her conversation with Pamela, she talks about the important role of the faculty during these trying times, as well as what's in store. Welcome, Lily. Thank you, Pamela. Thanks for having me. The uh, Faculty of Applied Health Sciences is now the Faculty of Health. Why the change? Well, the name change actually doesn't change who we are. The word applied has other connotations around the world and even here in Canada and within Ontario. Some um, external stakeholders think of it as a... um, more sort of a non-academic or vocational stream, particularly in high schools and even post-secondary education around the world. So that can result in misperceptions for uh, prospective students. So really, when we thought about changing the name, we've been thinking about recruitment because it's one of the most commonly asked questions is why is it called applied? Why does it have applied at the beginning? Uh, we, we do prioritize the importance of applying academic knowledge in everyday health problems, but we also believe that the word did need to change in our faculty since it also misrepresents our educational offerings mm. um, to our stake- key stakeholders. And also, as I mentioned, prospective undergraduate students who want to seek um, perhaps a health professional career or um, our industry. And then um, in addition to that, we, we do do research in the three academic units. So we have the school, uh, sorry, we have the uh, School of Public Health and Health Systems. Mm-hmm. We have the Department of Kinesiology and the Department of Recreation and Leisure Studies. 
our priority is multidisciplinary and focuses on not just sciences, but also um, we offer BA and MA degrees, particularly through the Department of uh, Recreation and Leisure Studies. And so we felt that um, if we dropped the sciences, just the word health would be more inclusive of uh, all of the programs and the types of um, research as well as um, education that goes on in our faculty. Hmm. So, yeah, to be more inclusive. I see. It's also, as somebody who writes press releases, it's also shorter is better. (laughs) Of why health sciences is long. This is what our communications director tells us as well. And this was not um, a sort of a bonus, not the, not certainly not the driving incentive was, um, uh, it's the fact that uh, we, like all the other uh, five faculties are now a single word faculty. Right. Now you just got to work on School of Public Health and Health Systems. <laughs> we are. You'll hear about that soon. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yes. Right on. Okay. So what do you think is the role of a faculty of health during a time of a global health crisis like the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, we certainly, um, as this was going through our um, approval process in the university, we had no idea, of course, like everyone else, that we were going to be hit by a global pandemic. And uh, as it turns out, having this name really serves as well because uh, it's not a mouthful to look for um, expertise, even though the School of Public Health, of course, has a, has always had a lot of expertise in this area. So, During the pandemic, it was very natural, I think, for our faculty, and in particular, the School of Public Health and Health Systems, to pivot. They do what they do already really well, and um, this is their core mandate or mission or um, reason to be is to focus on public health, on systems of how healthcare is delivery, uh, how care delivery is um, is uh, provided to our populations. They study public health, uh, they study population health. And so um, it was, uh, I think, fairly natural for them all to step up and to to do public uh, media interviews, um, mm-hmm. to, to also apply what the um, impact of the pandemic has been having on uh, various other conditions and systems that they've been studying. So, for example, we have John Hurdies, who's very focused on his work on long-term care. And so, mm-hmm. of course, the pandemic, the first population to be hit hard is the uh, long-term care sector of our of our uh, healthcare system. The uh, We have uh, many experts in the area of uh, mental health and uh, across the lifespan. And so those individuals, of course, stepped up and uh, were able to pivot their research to look at immediate impact of um, the COVID-19 pandemic on mental health. And of course, there's, uh, there's there are groups of um, researchers who are very interested in the uh, mental health and the well-being of our own campus, our students, our faculty, our staff. And so uh, very naturally, we're able to pivot to that. We have researchers in gerontology and aging. And so immediately, um, individuals like Professor Stoli, who is the director of the Network for Aging Research, mm-hmm. uh, was able to pivot and um, direct all of the seed funding that uh, NAR, NAR, provided every year to uh, fund uh, six research projects immediately uh, this spring that would focus on COVID-19 and the impact on older adults. And I might add that interdisciplinarity was a necessity to obtain these uh, seed funding. And so all six faculties are represented in all of the research projects that were funded. These are just some of the small examples of how quickly we were able to 
pivot and um, do what we already do very well, but apply it to a COVID environment. Yes, I know very early on in the pandemic, a number of researchers in the Faculty of Health, formerly Faculty of Applied Health Sciences, and particularly the School of Public Health and Health Systems, um, were very helpful and very involved with the media and even appeared on this podcast to help people make sense of what was happening. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I have to I have to say that um, in the early days, we were, you know, in even, say, mid-March, even heading into it, beginning of March, while administrators were meeting sometimes on a daily basis, at a certainly weekly basis, planning, doing, uh, discussing contingency plans and uh, how we might um, accommodate faculty's needs, education needs, research lab needs, and that sort of thing. Even before any of this was um, decided on how we should go forward, we had um, the researchers and uh, faculty members in the School of Public Health already putting their foot down and said, saying, we've seen this before uh, with SARS, for example. We have to shut everything down. This is the best way to protect the population. And so they were way ahead of the game before any of these um, um, systems, you know, decisions were made. And in the end, they were right. <laughs> what what effect has it had on the research in the faculty? Because the research deals with people. Absolutely. Um, I have to say, we're going to see, I think, um, some um, very, very challenging times. In fact, uh, delays for um, not only research projects, but um, completion dates for our graduate students, because so much of our research in our faculty involves human participant research. Yeah. And they, they're the first to be shut down and they're the last to be allowed to come back. What effect has the pandemic had, if any, on the research focus of the faculty? Not surprisingly, the uh, funding, the sources of funding immediately pivoted to focus on COVID-related types of research. They were fast-tracked. We saw our um, ethics committee uh, pivot very quickly and prioritize those research grants that were funded uh, to to be targeted at uh, COVID-19 related topics. We saw um, all kinds of uh, processes expedited. We also saw... um, organizations such as the Public Health um, Agency of Canada divert or prioritize funding. So they may have been considering research projects um, on a particular topic uh, with chronic conditions, but uh, they immediately set that aside. Um, Many of these organizations, CIHR was another one. So, uh, of course, our researchers um, being competitive and being successful in what they do were very successful in also pivoting their research to focus on uh, COVID-19. And so we've seen um, a lot of COVID-related types of um, research projects. In a lot of ways, I think these research projects programs are also going to grow because um, we're going to see many, many research questions for probably a, a few career spans that are going to focus on this particular topic. We see already grad students coming in wanting to study or apply their research uh, interest to this area. Oh, really? Hmm. Now, Waterloo's president-designate, Vivek Kowell, is a world expert in public health, um, distinguished scholar. So what do you think about that? 
in three words. We are thrilled. The appointment actually occurred after the university's strat plan was uh, approved and uh, we had already began uh, the implementation process and actually after our own faculty of health uh, strat plan was approved. And both strat plans um, uh, as you may know, indicate a commitment, a very strong commitment to health and society. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Goel's appointment solidifies, I think, uh, that commitment. Something he said um, uh, when it was announced, it's the point when he said that he sees in us what a post-pandemic academic institution could look like. So I really feel as though the stars are aligning and wow. yeah, we're just thrilled. Amazing. Well, specifically, the uh, university's latest strategic plan talks about leading globally and nationally at the interface of society, health, and technology. Mm-hmm. So what does this focus on health tech mean for the faculty? The university has always been very strong in health tech. You see the, the spin-off companies, the commercialization of health tech in- industry that has, that has uh, happened here in the Waterloo region has come out of Waterloo and um, all of the other faculties, engineering, math, art, uh, you know, all of them have been, uh, environment have all been very involved in the area of uh, health and um, applications of technology to health. And so I think uh, uh, the same can be said for our faculty. So we have we offer courses or programs in health informatics. We have engineers on our faculty. We have um we have health professionals on our faculty, in our faculty who also work with um, engineers and with uh, other types of uh, disciplines on campus. So it's always been, been part of the work that we do. But I think what um, to, to name health and society in our STRAT plan and to align it with technology is something new, is in, it, in and of itself an innovation for the university, which is known for its um, STEM um, programs, for its, uh, its technology uh, education and, and research. I, I think what it means for us is that we are about the art and science of health and that there is a lot of innovation that may not be technology specific, but um, innovations, for example, in in health as it relates to policy and the ways that we do things, the way that we use data, the ethics behind how we use that data, who controls our data. I think those are all pressing conversations that the uh, general public is going to um, push us to address. What are the balances between and risks between an individual's privacy and the need to release some of that privacy in order to in order to lead a safer um, life that requires um, monitoring, for example, if they're living um, and they're fragile in the community. So we're going to see, I predict in the near future, we're going to see University of Waterloo's concept and um, uh, demonstration of uh, innovation beyond health tech, but uh, I think we're going to embrace the concept of health innovations. So health tech much broader in terms of the, the ways that we use the technology. A good example would be um, some of the work that we do with the Games Institute and um, the applications of games theory, how we use that to engage users in the use of technology. So while the technology may be out there, may have been designed or about to be designed, in the end, it's about the end user and how they adopt and whether or not it makes an impact, a positive impact on their lives. And uh, some of the some of the collaborations that occur in the Games Institute can help us with that on campus. Hmm. 
In October, we heard about a new facility in Kitchener that will be 90,000 square feet and focus on health innovation, medical technology, and deep science. Now, I understand that the object is to help us meet health challenges with innovation, which is our favorite word around here, and it'll be there'll be nothing like it in Canada. What do you think about that new development? I think, again, it's, a, you know, I talked about... Um, the stars aligning. It's again, one of those timing opportunities for us. So this is a facility that I think is yet to be designed. So we'll be able to have an impact on how it's designed, uh, thinking about how we want to use that space um, in the end. I understand uh, half of that, so 45,000 square feet, is going to be dedicated to velocity, which is wonderful. Uh, it means that the other half of the space will be able to occur in, a, in, the, in, in the same vicinity, in that same space, so that there'll be more, um, I think the term that people like to use on campus now is collision. So there's a lot of this uh, serendipity is uh, collision in a good way, um, <laughs> serendipitous. Like um, disruption. It's all good. Yeah, it, that's right. That's right. And you know how great inventions are often conceived or concepts are conceived when people from po totally different backgrounds happen to be having coffee together and they take out a napkin and they're drawing ideas. So again, it, it goes to that opportunity for interdisciplinary uh, collaboration that you can't really force it sometimes. Personally, I see that space being uh, opportunistic for those kinds of uh, experiences, being able closer to velocity, uh, but, at, you know, 45,000 square feet that could be used for, um, again, not just health technology or med tech kinds of uh, innovations, but also social, social innovations. I think um, the location of it being in the health sciences campus is what we call it, across from the pharmacy school, as well as uh, the, the clinic where um, McMaster's um, uh, School of Medicine is uh, in, in the Waterloo region. Our optometry students have a clinic there as well. So I think uh, it brings uh, the campus a little closer to some of the programs and science that are that are. Um, you know, targeted at the at the health professions or health service delivery will be a great opportunity. Will this facility have implications for our working relationship with McMaster or how will that be affected? I just sent McMaster uh, our faculty's strat plan because uh, we just got it in, in uh, print and uh, immediately got a response back to say how excited they are. They I did, pulled out a couple of our objectives and say, we want to be part of that, which is, you know, external engagement with stakeholders, that sort of thing. We have already begun conversations with uh, McMaster as it relates to how their uh, medical students can come onto campus and use their elective options to take courses or to do a capstone project with um, students in our faculty, in the Faculty mm. of Health as well as students in engineering or in science. I think they're excited. And when they see um, our university strat plan emphasizing health, when they see our faculty strat plan emphasizing health innovation and external stakeholders, uh, and then they see this space coming up right across the street from them, I think yeah. they're quite excited as well. And uh, because we don't have a medical school, this is a perfect opportunity to align our strengths, leverage it, and uh, work with them. One of the first and main questions that uh, we asked and we addressed and we went through a series of consultations with people on campus as well as off campus is whether or not we should pursue uh, the creation of a medical school. And um, ultimately, the answer that came down was no, because we do have lots of medical schools around and that uh, it's very expensive. It doesn't necessarily contribute directly to 
to the research endeavor. Yet uh, we have um, so much going on here with respect to to the research that we do, as well as the the um, education that we provide, that uh, we could we could form really strong partnerships. And there are other models around the world that we can um, emulate, for example, or certainly learn from. A good example would be MIT, which does not have a medical school, yet is very, very strong in, in health research and health in innovation. So, and there are other um, examples uh, around the world. Very exciting times to be in health. You're right. Um, and Pamela, I think um, one more thing I'll just add is that uh, we, we, we see health as a concept beyond uh, cures for illnesses, it's much broader than medicine, than any of the health professions. So, yeah. What else do we need to know? One of our um, signature commitment or one of our objectives in our for faculty strat plan is to be a voice um, for health on campus. One of the ways that we are doing this is uh, through a course, an undergraduate course called Mental Health Literacy. And uh, this um, was delivered, was uh, conceived of, uh, designed by Christine Zaza. Uh, it was delivered for the first time in January in the winter semester. COVID hit and then it pivoted to online. It is an amazing course. It yeah. was delivered um, again as a graduate course in the spring. And then this fall delivered again. And this time, so the first time we offered it, I would say about 40% of the students were from outside of our faculty. The second time, I don't know, but I think it was over 50%. It is in such high demand that in the winter semester, we now have two sections. Wow. So we have probably close to 200 students registered for this course. So this is a very ac uh, accessible course in the sense that uh, it's not about uh, mental illness. It's about um, mental health and well-being. The, um, so I really strongly uh, recommend our campus community to look into this course. So we want to be able to normalize, um, reduce the stigma of um, talking about mental health. The other neat thing about this particular course is that um, the first time it was delivered, a PhD student in psychology collaborated with Christine to develop, to study. And um, an interesting outcome of this study was that they found there was a significant change in the attitudes towards help-seeking behavior. So in other words, they found that uh, students taking the course, with those who responded anyway to the survey, they were more willing and felt more able to seek out mental health wow. services. So uh, it predicts that uh, this also predicts their likelihood to seek out help later in life. The, the, and the comments that came out of it were comments like, all students should be taking this issue, should be mandatory in first year, et cetera. So wow. I think um, it'd be interesting to, I like to support this course and support more uh, data collection to show that, you know, whether or not it makes an impact in, in terms of the mental health and well-being of our um, student community anyway on campus. It's universal. It's universal, exactly. Thank you so much for being here, Lily. It was a pleasure. This has been wonderful. It's given me an opportunity to uh, reflect and appreciate the faculty and um, all the things that are happening despite uh, the pandemic. I feel like um, we're taking advantage uh, and doing our best to use the skill sets and the expertise that we have to help our community. So I think um, our faculty, many of the faculty members have really risen to the occasion and feel a real sense of satisfaction despite the hardships and the challenges we're experiencing. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week, our first podcast episode of 2021. Woo! 
you can find all of our past shows and helpful links on soundcloud.com. To ensure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast wherever you get your podcasts and recommend us to your colleagues and Waterloo alumni. Remember to do your part to limit the spread of COVID-19 in our community. Plus, keep your distance and mask up in public spaces. You can get in touch with us via email at bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. As always, thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin. I should have said thank you to you too, Brandon. Oh, it was remiss of me to say to not say thank you as well. <laughs> for all for all you do. We're, we're like those excessively polite gophers. Oh yes, that's right. And Looney Tunes, indubitably. After you, yes. After you. No, after you. <laughs> <laughs>